What's happening, everyone? Welcome to the Paranormies. I'm Johnny Monoxide, and tonight I'm joined by Dogbot. What's up? Man, you haven't truly lived until you've come home from work and you see nine of your chupacabras dressed in blue-gray prison uniforms and masks banging on uh, pots and pans in their food bowls. Was, okay, was there like a a musical going on? Was it like a s- stomp or something going on in your apartment? I think they were having a tribute to uh, Joey Jordanson. Oh, tribute to Joey Jordison. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it sounded like they were playing surfacing, but they can't play guitar, so. They're, yeah, they're cheaper covers, though. All right. Also joining us in the corner, taking notes, Jack the Intern. What's up, kid? Can we hear you now? Jack. Come back to us, Jack. Oh, no. Jack's audio is having now. a problem. <sighs> he's having problems with his audio. Jack is in the corner, taking notes. Trust us. Guys, he's back there. Also, last time I saw him, he was touching no the TV. No one Jack in a corner. I, last time I saw him touching the TV, like the little girl from Poltergeist. Yeah. He may be in the walls. Uh-oh. He might be in the walls. Or Mike Machine might be broke. Maybe. <laughs> the Mike Machine. Probably Mike Machine Stop is broken. Machine. We'll, we'll so, fix that. Yeah. And also, joining us tonight, since he doesn't want to wait for his introduction, Cash Customer. What's up, friend? Imagine Cash interrupting. Hi, Borthers. How are you doing tonight? Good. We're well. I'm, I'm just like on this particular day, I don't, you know, I'm just feeling better about literally every decision I ever made in my life. I don't know about y'all. Hmm. I don't no, know good. why. That's good. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> well, yeah. Who knows? Who knows why things happen the way they happen in your life, Cash? But yeah, thanks for coming back. Uh, we are, Cash is here. We're going to eventually do Laurel Canyon Part 3. But there's some news, and uh, we talked about it a little bit the other day. Uh, Joey Jordison passed. F, big F. One of the greatest metal drummers ever. I mean, that guy could play better upside down than most drummers can play sitting right side up. You guys remember? Yeah, that, was a, that, was a good, that was a good bit. It was. I like that. I mean, it was kind of like took Tommy Lee's spinning drum set, you know, to a whole new thing. He would, you know, he was going nuts. But yeah, Joey Jordison was the man, dude. I saw him. I saw Slipknot probably eight or nine times before he was uh, exiled from the band. Because Corey. Yeah, I've seen him three times, but yeah. Because Corey's a piece of garbage, but whatever. Corey Taylor also um, is, is he's pulling in Eddie Vedder and he's going to let us know what uh, what he thinks about COVID and the pol- uh, the politics behind uh, COVID and the vaccines and conspiracy theorists and vaccines and vaccine conspiracy theorists. Isn't that great, guys? We're going to hear yeah, he said, he we're going to hear from his. It, he said taking the vaccine is like a sign of deal with the devil. No, he said taking the vaccine is not like it's signing a deal with the devil. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, you know, like like everything with, uh, you know, Corey, you know, you think you think he's going to do something cool and then oh, no, it's it's the opposite. No. When are did you, you think Are you kidding that that billboard picture of him has him with a fedora on? He looks like your worst fucking <laughs> ska lead. He looks like your worst ska lead singer. You know, like He yeah, he's got the mutton chops going on. 
He does. He does look like he should be. The fedora was once a nice hat, but it is now ruined. And I mean, you just have to accept that. Yeah, I'm just waiting for him to be like, that's the impression that I get. That's what he looks like. He looks like Uh, backup singer for the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones or something. Yes. Yeah. Or or, uh, the like road guitarist for Blink 182. No. No. Could be. What? You don't think Tom DeLong? You don't don't think Uh, Tom DeLong can play still? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know who any still, of these people. I said are. still, like like he could play, ever play. All right, um, but no, Corey Taylor. Uh, what he said was, yeah. Um, what do you say? Let me see. Do, do, do. He's had it with the incessant spread of fear and false information. People act like getting a vaccine is signing a deal with the devil. He told Heavy Consequence in a recent interview. Heavy Consequence, actually, you know, a metal magazine. So you really want to talk to about getting vaccinated. It's been so politicized and spun out of control in these conspiratorial echo chambers that people forget that you can go find all the info you want online to educate yourself about everything about these vaccines. So he goes on, he goes on, he says, uh, the fact that vaccines have been demonized almost to the point of these gnarly conspiracy theories. No wonder why people are afraid of it, because they're listening to the wrong people. <sighs> this is what, what, I, what I love about this kind of this this kind of celebrity saying things in this manner is who do you think are the right people for us to listen to since you're so all knowing Mr. Stone Sour lead singer Geyer. Right. Well, like, like, uh, like, okay. So who should we not be listening to? Why are you so upset about it? Why do you even care? He cares because if you're going to go to a concert, all right, Here's what it says. It says, uh, Taylor weighed in on whether or not he thinks the fans should be required to show proof of vaccination to attend gigs. He also doesn't think that um, there should be a mandate. He said, yes and no. Here's the thing. There shouldn't be a mandate. But guess what, man? If you're going to put people at risk of getting sick, you shouldn't want to go to a show. That's common sense. And if you do put people at risk, then you're a fucking asshole and you shouldn't be let in anyway. So for me, it's a common sense thing, but we don't have a lot of common sense these days, man. So this is yes. So it's so bizarre, man. Like we're talking about the number one mallcore band of the aughts, Slipknot. Slipknot yeah. was like the king of mallcore. Yeah. Like what? What about what about anything about their persona says that they should care about what authority figures think about anything? Mm, I don't know. I mean, they they write songs about a girl duct tape in a box in a basement, so. Right. You know, uh, I don't know. I'm, I have no idea it, what, what the, but, but, you know, like I said, he's doing the Eddie Vedder thing where, you know, you, you, you go to the concert and halfway through the show, he wants to stop and talk about gun control for 20 minutes. And you're like, dude, shut the fuck up. I paid 300 bucks for these tickets. Sing Jeremy. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. The same thing with, with these guys. Again, I mean, I guess he's trying to say he's doing it for the fans, you know, you're putting people at risk. What is the survivability rate for uh, healthy men and women from oh, the yeah. ages of 20 to 45? 99 point something percent. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, like, that's what, that's their tar- target demographic now is what, uh, early 20s to 50? What? <laughs> Slipknot, probably like. Well, their target, I guess their target demographic is the young, but 
um, I think most of the people that are at the shows. Last time I was there, most of the people who were at the shows were my age or older with their kids. Right. Yeah. Who were like 15, 16. So, I don't know. Corey Taylor, he's just super douchey. Anyways, I can't stand him. He's the kind of guy, like I told you, like he fired... Like, how do you, you know, him and Jim Root, right? They're both in Slipknot, and they were both in Stone Sour. But Jim Root got fired from Stone Sour. How do you, you know, it's like, all right, bro, you're fired. Get the fuck out of here. All right, I'll see you at Slipknot practice, though. Right, but the Stone Sour thing was supposed to be the Corey Taylor project, right? Like that it was No, that was their that project. Could... That was like Corey Taylor's pre-Slipknot bar band, I believe, is the, oh, the story. Right. Yeah. Uh, didn't he also fire the DJ because the DJ started doing solo stuff? The uh, DJ Starscream, the the mm. guy that I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I just know that Corey Taylor is for being all of five foot two and a half is a humongous douchebag. Yeah, he's so <laughs> short. He's yeah. he, he he, and that's he, coming from me. He rivals Danzig in shortness he, and douchiness. They're yeah. cut from the same cloth. That, that Fred Durst Danzig. too. He's a midget. How about Fred Durst, by the way? Fred James Beck Hetfield Durst. Dude. He looks like uh, if Beck and James Hetfield had a kid now. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he's he's morphing into he's morphing into Beck. That's not his real hair. I, I won't I won't tell the Fred Durst story that I have yet. Okay. But that's not his that's not his real hair. No, he doesn't have hair. No. He doesn't. No, he, he has. That's why been, he wore the red hat for so long. Right, he's bald, and he didn't want to. He didn't want to go to the Bosley or the Hair Club for Men route. So, it do, it doesn't matter if he did. That's still not his hair. Right. Oh no, no, he's bald. Well, to be honest, it was the late nineties. The uh, shaved head thing was pretty overdone. Uh, done in, the, in that part of time. So. This is true. No, it's it doesn't matter. Right. Okay. Saw him without a hat on. That Although is, hell, it worked, always worked yeah. with the guy from a sugar. I mean, there's a lot. Look, there's a lot of bald, look, a lot of bald guys in metal that are naturally bald, you know, and gay. Not just Fred Durst, you know. what I mean, there's, um, there's, um, what's his face from Judas Priest, uh, Rob Halford. He's bald and gay, you know, just like Fred Durst. Um, <laughs> Fred Durst isn't gay though. Well, he was in the Navy. Mm. Well, dude, like you know, like Limp Bizkit, hey, that, that where didn't that help. came from, right? <laughs> they, yeah, they're from where are they from? Like Tampa, and they. Corn gave them a bunch of money to pay the record, uh, the radio stations to play their shit. So they finally got signed, something like that. I thought he was like a tattoo artist from like Jacksonville, but somewhere in Florida. This is a, it's Jacksonville, you're right, not Tampa. It's Jacksonville. Yeah. No, Fred Durst worked for Interscope. He worked for the he worked for the record company. Yeah, he worked for Interscope. Mm. I used to work with his brother at Guitar Center for a while. Really. Yeah, it was right before he went. He, uh, joined. They joined up to do uh, Big Dumb Face, and then like I, I heard, I heard about that like a couple weeks after he left. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Good for him. Yeah. Well. All right, that's enough. Are we done with the uh, '90s new metal posting? Speaking of '90s new metal, dude, uh, Hook is going to see Corn and Stained, and I am jealous. Stains is awful. Yeah, but he's going to see corn. Just like, but it's it, corn. It, dude, it, it's it is a. I want to. Uh, according to him, mad at the, him, so I, so it would be like some kind of sweet revenge. But I'm just like, you know, hook. Why you do this to yourself? <laughs> he's leave hook alone. He's a nice man. 
He's he's a good boy and he's a friend. And he's going to the show. It is a replay of a show he went to 20-something years ago with the same dude he went to back in high school. So, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, if it, you know, you can't help but you have, like, a nostalgia for I mean, like, yeah, I'm a dude, Monster like, Magnet fan, you know? Like, at, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> right, right. Like, if, if there I, was, I like, if there was a way to get, like, the white zombie or the Coal Chamber White Zombie Pantera show back together, I would go, you know? I mean, like, because... Yeah, I would, go, I would go to that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Like, even, if, it, like, it, even if they got somebody to replace... The, the two-thirds that are good. Right. I mean, but, like, last time... That show was terrible. Rob Zombie was, like, out of breath the entire show. <laughs> oh. oh, it was terrible, dude. He's... Dude, he's just, like... You know, it's... it's, it's if you want to like a, an analogy for like the industry versus talent, look at where everybody else in like white zombie is right, right now. And look where Rob is. Okay. So and no, nowhere right and making horror movies. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean like he's probably, what do you think he's worth? Like $50 million or something like that. Sure. Yeah. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. He's got, he can do whatever he wants. The rest, Jay younger is like probably the assistant manager at Chick-fil-A in Hollywood. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, if you're I, listening, Jay, I, I didn't know. I don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry for making that analogy, but you're probably not famous anymore. He just he just uh, pressed stop on the show. On the show, he was streaming at home, and he just pressed stop. Fuck you guys! You can stream us at home. Wait a minute! Don't, don't tell everybody. No, you can't. We, there's no streaming. When we say when we say it's in the chat, we mean the chat on the skype of the call that we're on at the time there i'm wearing no- my paranormies.com t-shirt right now we have a paranormies.com shirt well no just paranormies t-shirt says okay. there are no coincidences everybody should everybody should get one yes that is a great shirt you can get that at it's very comfortable yes you can get that at dissidentapparel.com uh, irish lives matter t-shirt nobody fucking cares cash you can get it at dissidentapparel.com <laughs> <laughs> Backslash ally slash <laughs> paranormies. <laughs> we love you, Cash. We're we just do. trying to shill the shirts. We do. We're <laughs> trying to shill the shirts. We don't care about your your buddy's Irish shirt, buddy, right now. Um, but yes, buy our shirts. All right, let's get back to let's get back to the show. If Irish lives mattered so much, they'd quit drinking. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I so mean, the let's do this. Boop. Sober in this world. Let's do the paranormies. Uh, spoop take on the Joey Jordison thing real quick. So he had um, he had transverse myelitis. And what yes. what is one of the side effects of the COVID vaccine? Was hmm. Transverse myelitis. Yes. So he got the vaccine probably so he could still be in the good gra- maybe to possibly get back into good graces. Of a one Corey Taylor and maybe get back to the band that he, uh, you know, he did like a lot of the music on that first album. Almost all of it. Jim Root. Yeah. Jim Root's not even on the first album. I don't think. Yeah. There's not a oh, Jim Root about the solo. Bait, feed, kill, repeat. No, that was their their Are pre-album, but Slipknot, Slipknot, like the, their first major album. Oh, okay. Well, you, no, uh, Root was on that. Not like, the, all, all not like nine guys were on, on Slipknot. Oh, he, he, hmm. 
No, only only three musicians played on the first album. They they did the live stuff together, like the the the. Yes. Yeah, but the uh, the the recording was mm, was like Joey. Yeah, yeah he, he's he's pretty famous for doing that in all the bands he's in. Was in. Yeah, he did most of the music for Murder Dolls. Uh, the guitars from Static X showed up to do, I think, fifty percent of the guitars, and. Uh, you know, of course, when's the the lead singer from that band was Wednesday Thirteen, and they had him show up after all the music was done to do the vocals. Yeah, that was what a, is a Wednesday Thirteen. That was the, the the lead singer guy that they had found to do uh, Murder Dolls with. Joey Jordanson wanted to do like a sort of like a misfits hair metal fucking sort of project. Yeah, I never got into him. Probably because I heard, heard the name Wednesday 13 and it just sounded like one of those guys that like auditioned for Marilyn Manson and didn't make it. Yeah. yeah Wednesday 13 yeah. would be the uh, singer for the band that John 5 started. Yeah, this is a bunch of <laughs> random weird names with followed by numbers. No, um, the Murder Dolls album, actually, I don't think any of the guys who recorded the album actually did any of the recording together. It was like Joey did whatever Wayne static did whatever separately. And then the, um, Wednesday 13 came in and sang over it. And none, none of them performed in the studio together. Kind of weird. No, just a, well, yeah, just a little, little fun project. No, but they yeah. toured, they, they toured and they were, they were, I saw them live. Oh yeah. Yeah. Were they, they any good? They did. A, eh, I don't remember much of it. I was pretty drunk. It was, a, <laughs> I was, it was in New York. I don't even remember where we saw them. It was in New York though. If I had to guess, it was probably the Roseland Ballroom. Maybe. No, it wasn't the Roseland Ballroom. I, I've seen fish there twice, so no, it wasn't. No, there. okay. Yeah. It was a, I don't want to say CBGB's, but I'm wrong. Ah, whatever. Who cares? Did um, you ever get to go before it closed? What? Did I get to go to CBGB's yeah. before it closed? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. I saw- I, I gotta admit, it was like uh, for what for you know what it was. It definitely wasn't based, but it, you know for what it was, it was a pretty cool little like uh, spot. Just because it was so prestigious, you know, and everybody wanted to like you know like uh, you know do stuff there. Everybody played there. That was the whole point of it. Everybody played there. All right. Speaking of places where everybody played, or everybody came from, Sigu, back to Laurel Canyon. Uh, I wonder if. I wonder if Corey Taylor and Joey Jordison got any ties to... Nah, they're from Iowa. There's any CIA ties. If they were from Utah, we'd be like, well, they might be Mormons. They might be CIA agents. <laughs> no, but they're from Iowa, so they worship the corn demon, uh, and uh, the corn demon gave them power. Yeah, something did. Something did. They are. They, they were the, uh, like you said, the number one mall core band. Wouldn't corn... Is corn considered mall core? I, I, oh, absolutely. I, Actually, yeah. they would be the king. That's what I'm saying. If that's the case, then corn is the king of Malkor. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. they would have to fight. Well, they did. They did that, that song together, and that was the fight, right? Yeah. Because there were some good, uh, good like, things you could, like, na- label as new, uh, new metal. You could, like, you know, like, Mudvayne was, like, you know, like, uh, you know, the, you know, oh, okay. I li- you know, I kind of like the Slipknot th- thing, but I actually want real musicians pl- uh, playing. So, you know, you- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Jim Root is or, a good guitar uh, yeah, player. Like, he does that thing where he plays really, really fast. Argue against that. Um, 
but I don't know. I don't think there's any super talented musicians in the new metal genre. You know, there are no super technically proficient guys. I mean, like the the guys in Deftones make good good music. You know, they make they write good songs and stuff. But I wouldn't uh, say they're like. Yeah. I would I would say I would say Mudvayne were pro- probably the, like the you know because they were like basically like somewhere between new metal and math and like early math metal anyway. Yeah, that was like their kind of like that was their their thing. Sure. They were like yeah like uh, like really er- really early guys that got into Tool, but they were also into like speed metal, so they just came, kind of came out something different. They had some pretty interesting progressions and stuff. They did. Yeah, the bass player was very strange. Had a very strange style. Yeah, uh, LD50 yeah. is still like uh, that. That still uh, still holds up. The later stuff, uh, what, uh, yeah, whatever. It's probably uh, probably, but that that LD50 album was like. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a good record. Top five, probably top five in the whole scene. Easy. Uh, LD50 is is in my top four of the new metal genre. But yeah, top I, four. I, I, Whoa. Yeah. All right. I praise. What are the other three? Uh, the War of Art by American Head Charge. Okay. Um, uh, System of a Down, Toxicity, Ooh. And, yeah. prob- and probably the first Slipknot album. Yeah, um, Slipknot. I do the first Slipknot album. Now I, I don't know if this is the, now. I, hey, here's a Laurel. Hey, you want the Laurel Canyon? Um, isn't isn't like the drummer from uh, the Police, the Copeland? Yeah, Stephen Copeland. I Stuart Stuart Copeland. Stuart Copeland. That's right. So Stuart Copeland, I remember it was something like uh, I read it at work at Guitar Center. I used to work at the Hollywood sto- uh, store for a while, um, so I worked at a really shitty place, but the best of the of that, of that shitty place. And uh, yeah, so I, I picked up like the you know the monthly you know little you know kind of like advertisement. They always had like some famous guy interview in there to like make you want to read it. And then like, oh hey, uh, you know five for one Dean Markley's or whatever. And I was it was. Stuart Copeland, and he was talking about how, you know, his whole career, he never, like, you know, really wanted to, like, you know, get into double bass, and then he saw uh, Slipknot, because when Slipknot came out, it really was kind of like, nobody would really done that before, so it was, like, pretty, Nobody really know, done what? Like, the nine-man, you know, kind of, like, oh. it was just, a, it was a, it was a weird mutant th- thing, I'm not saying it's high, you know, high art or anything like that, it was basically, like... I don't know. I you know I, I wouldn't say, uh, say that they're as bad as like ICP or something like that, but probably as trashy as I, ICP. So, but it was just like it was like nobody had seen anything like that that before. And I mean, Joey Jorison was easily, you know, you might say Joey Jorison and probably uh, like the DJ were actually probably the two most talented p- people in the band. And th- nobody was really that much of a schmo to be honest. I mean, maybe the bass player was just kind of there, but uh, I mean, Joey was pretty awesome so it was like you know this, you know basically Stuart copeland was like yeah i you know i actually bought i don't use it in any of my projects but when i'm home jamming i actually do have a double bass pedal now and it was be- apparently because of joey jordison according to this little anecdote okay well i wouldn't exactly call that a laurel canyon tie-in but that's a that's, that's all a- i got <laughs> i mean sure i hope you have more laurel canyon than that buddy uh, well, uh, that's all I got. I got for I got for uh, Joey Jordison. Yeah, that's that's, like, that's fine. That is totally just don't totally know, just fine. don't know that much about the guy. He look kind of looks like Aggie. I mean, I got I got you know, you know, has anybody seen Aggie? Has anybody seen you know like Joey Jordison and Aggie in the same place? Aggie at the same Aggie Pop. No, uh, uh, Egg White. Um, Aggie. Oh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what that is. 
Is that I know a, it. He's Iggy the guy Puff from is. Twitter. Like he's the ra- the, uh, the rapper from tw- uh, from Twitter. Well, then I really don't know. Who yeah, that you're, is. dude. No. <laughs> Other people not. do. What's up, Iggy? I don't know. If okay, so the three people the par- paranormies yet, obviously not. So if it was me, hey, what's up from Cash Customer? <laughs> okay, so if the three people who know who Cash is talking about, please leave a comment on <laughs> oh, paranormies.com. He's way more popular than me. Come on. Okay, I'm the guy with three followers. No, I, I'm just saying Wait, that the fat. three people who listen to our show that know who Eggy is. Come oh, on, okay. follow along. Okay. All right, so last we left Laurel Canyon. We had talked about the Manson connection. Um, and we mentioned we mentioned that shitty book chaos that didn't really talk about the CIA, even though it's on the cover of the book. Um, we talked about the King of the Freaks quite a bit. Vito Paulikas. Yes, Vito Paulikas and his group that followed followed everybody around. Um, he was with the Zappa. Do we do we do the whole Zappa thing? Do we do we cover Zappa in depth? He's. Uh, we've talked about him a lot. Uh, you know, I don't know if we really like, you know, like, uh, uh, okay. went on a tangent about it, but he comes up quite often. He's like, um, there's just a lot of stuff with, with uh, Frank Zappa, and Laurel Canyon. I found this this me- I don't know if it's a meme. It's actually a video, and his house, twenty four oh one, Laurel Canyon Boulevard. Right, that was his house. Mm-hmm. It is. Exactly. To uh, 100050 CLO Drive. You know where that is, right? Do you know that that address is, right? Everybody knows that. That's where Sharon Tate was murdered, right? Okay. So CLO Drive from the 10,050 CLO Drive to 2401 Laurel Canyon Boulevard, which is Frank Zappa's house. Do you know what the distance is to the house from door to door? Is it 666 feet? 6.66 6. 6 miles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weird. Takes uh-huh. 33 minutes to get there. But on foot. <laughs> on foot. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, the Tate, like where the, the house where Sharon Tate was murdered, looking at it from above, it's got some pretty interesting geometry into the pool and stuff in the backyard. There might be some oh. sort of yeah, occultic stuff there. I'll, I'll post that in, in, in the... Uh, in the Skype while doing, chat, uh, while we're doing six six six, I would. Ju- I just happened to see uh, see this. I don't know if we got in the. Uh, I, I wish I would have like. Uh, I don't think we got got into this with Goto because we were mostly just going. Uh, you know, kind of like wow, just wowing about people going to like dance parties after their uh, you know their child died from what has to be neglect and so you know. Mm. But uh, Goto, two and a half years of age at, at the time, was with his parents at the roof of 333 Laurel Avenue. Right. 333 yeah. is three squared times 37. Merton's function returns zero dash 30, a shod number. Symbolically, 333 is used to re- represent corn zone, a demon used in the uh, philosophy of the Philema. And you know, Alistair Crowley is all over this canyon too. Oh wow, Thelema. There's a now. There's something we're going to mention later um, if we if we delve into the depths of one Samuel Perlman. I think we should later. What do you think? You want to save yeah, that? For, yeah. Okay. Um, we'll save that for later. One but- thing that's not in the book that we could t- uh, talk about about the book is so good. If you're looking for a book, you want like. 
I just want to like you know get you know, you know get a uh, you know comfy with a book that's not a hundred percent our guy stuff, but maybe like you know fills in knowledge elsewhere. This book is really good. You don't have to buy like twelve books to get to get like the your little can- canyon thing. Dave McGowan did an excellent job with uh, weird scenes, but there's other stuff like this uh, thing with like uh, Blue Oyster Cult that we might talk about later. Oh yeah, but definitely. Definitely check out Dave McGowan's work. If it wasn't for Dave McGowan, a lot of people wouldn't be here. Um, Dave mm-hmm. McGowan was how a lot of people got into moon landing denial with wagging the moon doggy. And he also, um, oh, what's the other book that I have of his? Where the hell is it? Uh, uh, Program to Kill. Program to Kill, yes. Thank you. I'm like, I know I know his name of his other book. Yes, Program to Kill is how I actually first found out about Dave McGowan. Um, And then I heard about the weird scenes inside the canyon and the mostly true story, which I find kind of funny. Um, So like what part of it isn't exactly true? (laughs) Who knows? But most of it, I mean, it does seem to be corroborated like stories. And a lot of these um, are definitely, definitely, definitely true. The guy, the guy was great. Uh, he died. Do you guys think that they killed him? Well, he died of cancer, right? Kind of like, like one of their, and he wasn't a very. I think he was just mid forties. I don't think he was a very. He was late forties. I, I think he was forty. His son was in high school because, yeah. like, we were all like uh, f- uh, friends on Facebook for uh, for a little bit, a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I think his son was high school age when when he pa- uh, passed. So he wasn't a very a very old guy at all, you know. No, I remember him on Maybe Facebook. Maybe fifty. I remember him being on Facebook. He had too many friends by the time him and I got around to being able to be friends on Facebook. I wasn't able to be his friend. But then he passed away, and after he passed is when I really got into his stuff. Uh, but this book is well-written. It's it's entertaining. It's very entertaining. Uh, and it covers... And it, co- it literally covers just about everything that you could possibly want to know about the CIA's involvement in... Um, you know, in in the hippie m- music movement. I don't know why I can't think tonight. Holy shit. <laughs> also, well, it's not just hippie music. It's country music and punk rock music. It's not and just... And new wave music. And new wave music. And well, techno punk, music. Punk and, new wave, punk and new wave go together. They have their own mm-hmm. chapter, even. Yeah. Yep. They... Uh, it's- well, and the it's thing is about the punk and CIA either you have MI6 too, you know, uh, well, EMI was the, the uh, label of both um, the uh, Beach Boys and the Beatles. And they're, you know, one of them was basically the American, ver- you know, they were basically in a friendly competition with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, Pet Sounds and, the, you know, Sergeant Peppers came out at the same t- uh, time and Sergeant Peppers ended up win- uh, you know, winning out. Um, right. Matter, and they were basically yeah, the same but, uh, company. We they were the same record company. Just, they were the same record company. Yeah. Just one was based out of you know MI6, and one was the CIA. Uh, we we did talk about the Beach Boys, right? Last time, I swear we did. Well, we did because in the context of uh, Charles Manson, that his relationship with Brian Wilson. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're the 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 Beach Boys are heavily embroiled in all kinds of stuff, including pedophilia. Like they were well known for messing with teenage girls. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, that's one of these th- these things you find a constant. Uh, uh, it's been a thing basically since the beginning. Dudes that are like pushing thirty, writing about like you know, like uh, you know, sweet little sixteen, mm-hmm. and y- you could say it's a marketing thing. But I mean, like you know, we all know uh, you know who Chuck Berry was, you know, doing the thing in the bathroom with. Right, and Jerry Lee Lewis married his fourteen-year-old cousin. Same. Yep. It was all the way around. Uh, yeah. Uh, Elvis Presley's, you know, wasn't she? Wasn't she really young? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not, Elvis Presley's another thing. We just found out. We didn't find out. We already knew this, but Elvis Presley's a Jew. Yeah. I and, sent that in the chat today. Yeah. Uh, I always found, knew they, that. They, they unearthed the, uh, they, uh, from a closet or attic or whatever, his original gravestone. Uh, there's a big old Star David on it. And I think his, grandmother uh his paternal grandmother was jewish which literally makes him like yeah that's you know like you're literally like full blood at that time uh, you know the whole thing is like if it's passed through the matrilineal line mm. then you're a real jew right it's not just that you are like some kind of mishling or like you know ah well whatever you're so, there's there's like jews that that don't like take that that seriously but if your you uh your uh, mother and you, through your grandmother is a uh, you know a matrilineal jew you are you know it's like everybody in you know like uh, you know all jews will accept you sure yeah you, know, you have... <laughs> sure that's how it works um hmm. what was it yes like okay so Dennis, Da-da-da. dude, the, the skimming through the the Beach Boys chapter again. Um, good lord, man! Dennis Wilson like married somebody one of one of his manager's daughters. Like these guys are messing with everybody's kids. There's a lot of there's a lot of people. Um, and when we when we talk about the punk rock scene a little bit, uh, the Copeland family. There's a lot of weird intermarrying there with nieces and stuff. But uh, very weird, very weird. But a lot of, a lot of, a lot of underage girls, you know. And again, like you said, a lot of thirty-year-old guys talking about dating sixteen-year-old girls, and they're mm-hmm. probably really doing it. You know, Jeffrey Epstein wasn't the first to start doing this yeah. stuff. I was talking to a friend how I went to a Descendants concert three years ago, mm-hmm. and it was just really weird hearing the lead singer who's pushing fifty sing some of the songs that were written in the 80s because we're the uh, descendants so, i can't remember their music uh well milo goes to college uh it's I very don't nerdy pom- a punk rock yeah it's 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 uh it's the early sort of pop punk sound mm. but they had sort of like a surf punk sort oh, of. oh i remember too. them now yes Yes, I remember. Uh, but they had a lot like, of songs uh, about they had a lot of songs about teenage girls, and right. he sang a few of them, and I was like, eh, "It's kind of weird. Like right. it's kind of yeah. it's nice to hear this song again played live, and that is why I came to see the Descendants was yeah. because of my, you know, I loved them whenever I was a teenager, but it's sort of weird, you know." <laughs> And it sucks because, I mean, like, who knows? I mean, maybe those guys are just, uh, those guys are probably just like, oh, I like surf rock and I like Elvis Presley and I like the, like, Buddy Holly. So I'm trying to imitate them. And it's like, you know, like my little tri- uh, tribute. And there's a lot of, like, punk rock that that looks back to, like, the 50s and early si- uh, 60s. It's a, totally a thing. But it's like being in the world that we live in, 
with the Epsteins and the Weinsteins and all these. You know, it's like, oh man, I can't even, I can't write this guy a pass. It's, it's bugging me. It's, it's like, you know, like old, old dude talking about like, you know, 16 year olds. I mean, yeah. it's just a little weird. Yep. Yeah, you know, and, and, probably, for, you know, may, and maybe, maybe not. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that much about the the band or whatever. But you it's know, just kind of creepy. It, it's just sad that that's where uh, where we're at as a you know well, in the world. It's like oh, yeah. But Cash, after a while, as a singer, you know, you got you got to understand that that song was written when you were younger, and it's about a young girl, and you're no longer you know you're no longer that young guy anymore. You got to stop singing it. You just have to. You know, it's like yeah. remember what's the Christmas one? Baby, it's cold outside. Like when they first like yeah. the the libtards were first like oh it's so rapey and I was like no you know what at first I was like really you want to get rid of a it's a, just a you know nobody's doing anything better then I'm like wait a minute Bing Crosby's like fifty this chick's like nineteen you know that's just that's a huge age difference and like that's really creepy and, and I thought about it like that I'm like wait a minute that song is yeah, kind of literal creepy. baby yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what turned out it, it was a sort of rapey song. Yeah, no, no, it totally is, and it totally is, right? But I, I started to do the defense of it because Christmas, you know, and libtards. No, I, I just did the defense of it because libtards didn't like. Right, it. that was well, of course, you know, there's that. I didn't but then even I realized to the lyrics, I didn't even think about it, and then and then I actually uh, yeah. I listened to the yeah. song the whole way through, and I was like, yeah, ah, God, bless it. I'm like, yeah, you you guys can have this one. You guys can have this one. Hey, uh, did you? I, I want to read. Can we circle back to the gravestone thing real quick? The sure. Elvis Presley gravestone. Yes, the Elvis Presley oh. Jewish gravestone. Yes. I love the way that this is written. If you just bear with me here. Sure. From the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, Memphis, Tennessee. The large crate sat unopened in a twenty thousand square foot warehouse here for more than four decades, concealing a little known fact about one of America's cultural icons. Inside was the headstone of Elvis Presley's mother, Gladys, which had been stored in the Graceland archives along with 1.5 million other items since 1977. And on the upper left side of the long seen, long unseen marker designed by Elvis himself is a star of David. Yes, the king of rock and roll had Jewish roots. (laughs) Now, Gladys loved Presley. Now, hold on. It was so. It's so clim- They wrote it so climactically. Right. Well, what are the chances that? What are the chances that this is completely fake? And now the Jews are just trying to like. See, I mean, we're Elvis too. Yeah. You love Elvis. I don't know. It's like I. I, I think that's one of those uh, things. Are they just appropriating? Like, you know, like it would make sense if they were like, no, could you just like keep that like kind of like very much under wraps? Because think about who really. Think about who still cares about Elvis. I'll bet you, like Elvis is right up up on the wall next to Jesus, you know. And you, know, you know, not all like uh, you know, like goofy, like kind of like you know, like low IQ, you know, Christians, you know, are like you know, gonna just like be like, oh, I, I really like like the Jewish people. Some of them are like, eh, what? You know, they want, you know, it's like they, they might if they might not be like our level of anti-Semitism, but they just have a problem identifying with it. They want to identify with like Elvis as being a white person. You know what I mean? Sure. And, you know, I mean, that you know, it's like out in the country, Jews are just like, you know, people are like, oh, who? You know, like, but but it's like, you know, if you if I mean, put it this way, if they did like a low IQ search. They probably find a bunch of like, you know merchants and they're like i don't i don't look like that nobody i know look, looks like that's a little weird to me 
You know, it, it doesn't have what to do be. What do you mean by low IQ search? What do you what do you what do you mean by that? It's just like uh, you know, it's not going to take a uh, you know a, a genius. Just, uh, you don't have to be uh, be anybody that's even that interested. Just go like, no, eh, uh, no, it's I don't I don't know who these people are, but it's not my people. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just uh, say say I don't think if, if yeah I think that would would pro- probably want want to keep that under wraps and that makes sense that, they, that mm. it's something that hasn't come out and like yeah I mean I mean they they opened up. How many square foot? How many square foot um, storage was it? Twenty thousand square feet and one point five million items. Wow. He had a lot of things. One point five million things. He had a lot of junk. Yeah. He had a lot of fucking junk. He was a fucking fat hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was considered eccentric because he had money. If he was poor, Elvis would have just been that weird guy with all that shit. You know, brand new Cadillac. Well, that's the difference. That's the difference between eccentric and weird is how much money you have. So back to Laurel Canyon. Yes. Yes. So back to Laurel Canyon. Um, the Beach Boys were pedophiles. That yes that makes me sad because now I can't listen to the music anymore at all. Um, Houdini, Harry Houdini. Did we do the Harry Houdini stuff? Born the fourth sure. son of a rabbi. Just, I was gonna say, you know, in case anybody was unaware, yes, uh, you know, Harry Houdini echoes like you know a rolling space echo. <laughs> yes, he, he echoes pretty pretty hard. He's the son of a rabbi. Um, his family, like, ended up being. Um, oh man, his family was. Where is it? This is funny because it goes back to Shakespeare. Harry Houdini's family lineage, not just CIA, not just MI6, goes back to, I want to find it so I can quote it without fucking it up. Um, damn it. Harry Houdini's story. Damn it. I can't find it. But yes, his family goes back to, uh, here it is. There are indications that the practice of using entertainers to carry out covert operations goes back to the 1860s. Okay, excuse me. I misread this. But yes, he's an entertainer that worked for the Secret Services. So Harry Houdini was an intelligence agent who um, who ended up hooking up with people in Laurel Canyon before he died. So... Yeah, he was one of the. I think he was one of the very, very first world, fa- uh, probably the very first world famous resident. Uh, his mm-hmm. uh, mansion burned down mysteriously, which a lot of these, you know, very uh, expensive houses tend to burn da- down suddenly, as if somebody was trying to hide something. Yeah, weird, weird. It's like the pre-Seth Rich treatment. Um, <laughs> but the you know. the the connection, yeah. So the connection with. Uh, entertainers is that that uh supposedly poet actor playwright william shakespeare was part of aspiring under sir francis walsingham the head of the elizabethan secret service so too were christopher marlowe anyway let me finish so too were christopher marlowe and various other of shakespeare's contemporaries 
Um, Spymaster Walsingham chose the best possible recruits, poets and dramatists, whose lifestyles were ideally suited to this purpose. They had the perfect cover, traveling widely and receiving welcome everywhere. And since we're so many were actors, role playing was often second nature. Many knew many foreign languages. Interesting. Um, it makes sense, you know, that they used that, that they used uh, entertainers as spies back in the day, and they still do. I mean, they they show us movies about it. The movie, um, oh, what was the one with Seth Rogen and James Franco? The Interview, where they went to they were supposed to knock off Kim Jong Un, right? They were they were going to shoot a movie or do an interview, and um, and the CIA like tapped them for a special mission. I, I keep forgetting about this this guy, but what the what was the movie about about the guy the guy? What, it was like uh, what was the old uh, you know like a uh, home video, the early ho- home video Super Eight or something like that. It was like uh, what eight millimeter with Nicolas Cage. Maybe yeah, the, about about the it was I think this about guy, s- a guy was movies. in Laurel Ca- Canyon and he was like you know like basically like yeah he was like you know. Re- yeah, you know, like uh, recording, you know, all this. What, what wasn't it like? Uh, like you know, like basically like CP and it was snuff stuff films. Like that? Yeah, it was, it was CP and snuff films. It was really disgusting. yeah, CP yeah. and snuff films. Same thing that uh, Anton Lavey and the uh, Church of Satan mm-hmm. uh, they were you know, doing uh, in you know, traffic in, and they're all over this. Uh, you know, st- uh, the connections up to you know, basically, you know, if you go up to uh, you know, take these connections up to San Francisco, Anton Lavey was all over that scene. So, you know, and he, you know, he probably, you know, he, uh, I talked about, about it on, on the first episode a little bit. Uh, Isaac Bonowitz has a, a couple of essays he wrote about like his time associated with Anton LaVey. And he, he basically got in there, got in the guy's like inner circle and was found out the guy was a clown. Um, one time he, you know, Isaac Bonowitz like basically like, you know, like uh, sent like, you know, LaVey into a rage because he started doing Enochian and you know, just started doing this like basically almost like uh, this like Klingon impersonation before like there was like an eighties Klingon impersonation, <laughs> and all these people were eating it up. And like uh, you know, Anton Lavey knew that you know, Isaac knew that he was a fraud. <laughs> it's really interesting to read, but it was uh, you know he indicated that there's every indication that like some of these weird European, Eastern European. Uh, you know, uh, filmmakers that the uh, Anton LaVey was hanging around were like, you know, basically like, you know, as like, uh, yeah, snuff films and child porn, basically. Hmm. Yeah, which all the way back in the 60s. Yeah, oh, of course. It's almost like it's a pattern. Well, yeah, I mean, like a lot of the porn industry <clears throat> comes out of there, too. So a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of stuff comes out of Laurel Canyon. Um, but real quick, back to Harry Houdini, man, he's connected to so much. Stuff. One of his, one of his associates, was a chemist named Hans Goldschmidt, who had patented an incendiary compound known as thermite. Hmm. Why would Harry well, Houdini? Neat. Yeah, pretty neat, right? Yeah, Harry Houdini just happens to hang out with the guy who makes the stuff that they do. Uh, you know, demolition, building demolitions. I don't think they use thermite on uh, the thing that people think they use thermite on. I think that was a directed energy weapon. Oh, I think they used some thermite. Uh, to point the, the finger at thermite, but then the dustification was done by Jewish space lasers. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They, they had the uh, the the ones that were cut at a, a uh, forty five degree angle in the basement. Very. I mean, it was either like 
a very expensive high power plasma cutter or thermite. Right. And that was, those were done to do the red herring of the uh, demolition of the building. Yeah. Cause I, those used to be very popular. Like they used to have like a lot of that before nine 11 that like, you know, they'd be like, cause they're constantly doing that st- stuff in like uh, uh, Las Vegas. And it was, Oh, it's just, just fu- you know, fu- pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. But it's also like, well, there's a whole lot, a lot of like, st- you know, for a building that large, it should have a much bigger pile at the bottom. There wasn't a pile. There, there, was, there should have been through. a pile. The a pile would have been nice. There wasn't one. Yeah. There yeah, should have been uh, a 40 story. There should have been a 40 story pile of rubble. Anyways, we digress. It is not nine yeah, eleven time. I was I, I got an anecdote for you. Uh, I've never been able to uh, you know uh, see it, but I was watching it the day of, like a lot of people were, and I think it was on ABC, ABC or something, uh, flipping around. And there was this like uh, I don't know if he was a Jew, but he was definitely a journalist. So like you know, I basically repeated myself. But anyway, you know, this guy rode his little like scooter right in the middle of like one of the towers and like taking this. Uh, camera footage of you know the or, you know the early after effect, and there was just basically nothing there, like that empty thing with a bunch of like these like jagged kind of spires that everybody's yeah you know, that image everyone's pretty you know f- you know got much burn into their brain if they're a, of our age. Uh, yeah, that was just basically there. There was not there, there was almost no no rubble there for like how how many well over a hundred stories right of you know. 5,000 PSI yeah. steel reinforced concrete and like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where, where'd all that go? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. It just, yeah, it just vanished into dust. Yeah, well, you it's didn't say you had a short anecdote. <laughs> I never say I have short anecdotes. He never has short anecdotes. You should know this by now. All right, so. Yeah, where did the rubble go? Where did the rubble go? But that's not the topic of this week's show. Did- we're it. We're it's, in Laurel I know, Canyon. I know. I know. I know. It's not. But isn't it weird that the former chief of staff for for one of the presidents of the United States basically revealed the method, saying, "Where did all the rubble go?" Mm-hmm. Who said you that? Just cart that out in the middle of the ni- uh, night in New York City. No one will no- notice because New York City goes to bed at eight o'clock, as everyone knows. Right. What? Did, who said that? Which? President George Stephanopoulos. Oh, George Stephanopoulos said that. When did he say that? Yeah. I don't remember that. He said he's he, he said it, well he said where did all the rubble go? What, uh, doing live feed from the fucking uh, the ground the ground level. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Where did all the rubble go? It'd have to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So anyway, where did anyways. Laurel Canyon go? Right. Well, right. Speaking of Laurel Canyon, and we talked about punk rock for a second, but good lord, um, <laughs> here's a quote: "He seriously thought that Miles Stewart and I were part of some conspiracy hatched by my father and backed by the CIA." A quote by Ian Copeland, referring to Bernie Rhodes, the one-time manager of the Clash. The Copeland family is a huge name in uh, Laurel Canyon. Um, from the patriarch of that clan, Miles Axe Copeland, Axe, like, you know, like, like, let me ask you a question <laughs> yeah. or chop a tree down with an axe. Miles Axe Copeland Jr., born in 1916, 
was something of a legend in Western intelligence circles. He was one of the founding members of the OSS, which became the CIA. He met and married a one Elizabeth Lorraine Addy, a British intelligence asset, then assigned to the Special Operations Executive. Lorraine's brother, Ian Aid, Ade, whatever, was also a highly placed British intelligence operative. What a coincidence. So this guy basically was a founder of the CIA, right? And he had kids um, who, uh, who had a lot to do, had a lot to do with Laurel Canyon. These guys ended up managing and playing and like doing things with bands like the Sex Pistols, the Clash, the Buzzcocks, the Cramps, Generation X, Cherry Vanilla, General Public, the Beat, Public Image Limited, the Flesh Tones, the B-52s, the Cure, the Police, Blondie, Television, R.E.M., Patti Smith, Lou Reed, John Cale, Magazine, Simple Minds, The Specials, Wall of Voodoo, The Go-Go's, The Bangles, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Echo and the Bunnymen, The Psychedelic Furs, Joy Division, Bow Wow Wow, Gang of Four, Squeeze, Susie and the Banshees, Oingo Boingo, Adam Ant, Gary Newman, The Smiths, The Fix, Flock of Seagulls, Bananarama, Sting, Thompson Twins, Katrina and the Waves, Lords of the New Church, Midnight Oil, Steel Pulse, Dread Zeppelin, Social Distortion, Human League, Soft Cell, Timbuk3, Camper Van Beethoven, Circle Jerks, Dada, The Alarm, The Jesus and Mary Chain, The Plimsolls, The Ramones, The Stranglers, UB40, Suburban Lawns, Stan Ridgeway, XTC, Concrete Blonde, Ultravox, and The Fine Young Cannibals. Those bands all came out of Laurel Canyon. No way. Yep. Jesus and Mary Chain. Or were involved with the Copelands. The, the, I'm sorry. Well, the, no, I'm is, sorry. I'm yeah, wrong. I lied. I lied. Yeah. Involved with the Copelands. My bad. Yeah. Involved with the Copelands. And, uh, there we go. The co- which is the CIA. This is, this is which is to say. Canyon, Jason, because this is, dude, this, yeah, the OSS and the CIA. Yeah, which is to say and the what CIA. what did I say before? Like, this is an example of them, like, British intelligence and American intelligence are literally in bed with each other. Mm-hmm. Literally, literally, literally married to each other. <laughs> they married each other. There's a British intelligence asset is married to the founder of basically the CIA. Okay. And their kid, their kid, two of their kids, three of their kids happened to be involved with the entirety of New Wave and Punk. Uh, one of them being the drummer for the police. One of the weirdest bands and this whole thing, because like the police don't really fit into New Wave, and they don't fit into punk at all. And all the guys in the band were like 10, 15 years older than everybody else in the scene. They were kind of like mm-hmm. in their 30s, and everybody else was like in their early 20s. They're um, like reggae-flavored jazz fusion. They're not freaking yeah. punk. And they were really, really, really talented, too. Like All of them yeah, were like classically trained on their instruments, and yeah. Everyone loves to hate Sting, but I mean, like, you can't say uh, say he's a shitty singer or a bass player. No, you know, he's, he's, he's no, he he's might be a douchebag of a person. Guy, of the, of the guys, the guys, you know. Yeah, but okay, so so back to the Copelands. So so Stuart Copeland, right? He's in the police, and his brother Ian Copeland wa- was um, involved with. Let me see, where are we here? I just I just lost it, but he's involved with yeah. Well, the dad was involved with uh, John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles, who was the CIA chief. So, like, these guys are pretty high up. Pretty high up 
and the intelligence agencies, you know, and it just seems weird, right? That all these, these bands and all these managers and, and, um, musicians and agents and people around the bands, just, you know, their, their families just all happen to be intelligence agents or related to the intelligence agencies of the United States or England. Yeah. You, you thought, I uh, thought you were immune to this because, because all the hippie fa- uh, faggots fucking, Oh, I don't listen to hippie faggot sh- uh, shit. And I don't listen to this. And I, well, Oh, did you th- think that uh, listening to new wave was like the whitest th- thing ever? Is this mm-hmm. your little co- uh, comfort, uh, you know, music from like uh, a better time? Guess what? It was directly made by the CIA. <laughs> Wake yes. up, dude. Yep. You know, we're talking to you, Goy. Right now, directly, this is me, cash customer, saying, hey, this this pertains to you. You might want to look into this. It's not just like acid-addled uh, hippies from, like, you know, y- you know, the boomer age. Right. These are it's all your... Zoomers now, too. Like, now Zoomers are, uh, you, know, uh, you know, like, wrapped up, and they have a nostalgia. I mean, let's put it this way. When you're, li- when you're doing, like, Fash Wave, you know, you know the uh, neon is the only thing that glows about it. <laughs> So basically, there was this speech uh, by this this doctor, I forgot his name, in 1969. He was talking about how uh, going forward to implement the things that the New World Order, etc. wanted at the time was they were going to use music to be a wedge uh, generationally between, you know, different age groups and whatnot. And to where it's just push it, push it to where nobody can relate to anybody about anything and they they maximize that with genres and have you know they definitely they definitely found a way to create wedges in between all different kinds of groups of people with the music industry definitely um especially especially with these these scenes you know these were these were definitely geared towards putting wedges between kids and parents and generations. And I mean, know. you guys are all, uh, you know, uh, old fags like me and me. And you remember this, uh, you know, probably anecdotally is probably a li- little bit before our time, but it was stuff you would have like, you know, like, uh, guys that were like, you know, like a click behind us. Be like, oh yeah. Do you remember like, you know, like when all the punks down at Okie dog and all the, uh, the hair metal Heshers over at Astro burger, they all want want, want to get in like little street fights over like different musical tastes, even though I don't remember the people in the, in those scenes, you know, listen to like, you know, shit like, uh, you know, uh, motorhead and discharge and all, you know, like crossover bands all over the place. You have like, you know, and I don't know whether how much of it was like re- a real animosity or whether it was just like little like you know kind of like oh I re- read that it, you know this happens in the magazine so we should do it. Dude, I I don't recall any West Side Story style fights between metalheads and no, it's just it's not nothing like with like you know, switchblades or anything like that. It's just like it's just like drunken you know uh, maybe uh, basically drunken like late night bar you know, like bar. Oh uh, bar yeah, maybe. Well, maybe. There, I mean, there was there was this one time uh, I was in like a sort of like street alley situation, and there was this one guy with like a leather jacket and sunglasses. And this other black dude with like a white, uh, with like a white puffy jacket and glasses, and they tied their wrists together, and they both pulled out switchblades and started doing like a dance. And then Michael Jackson showed up, and he broke mm-hmm. it all up. 
and save the day. It was pretty cool. Oh, boy. For half a second, I thought you were serious, but then, yeah. No, I knew where he was going. I did, yeah, and I saw it. Then I, yeah, then I realized where he was going. Oh, man. Um, but, for yes, Cash is not wrong. That music that you thought was just, you know, white nerds doing stuff in the 80s, no. That was all made by the CIA. All of this stuff. Yeah, I'm sure and, there's a surprising amount of echo in there, too. Oh, there is. I mean, there's so many Jewish names in this book. So many Jewish names. Um, and some of them are, uh, like, Israeli, you know, Jews, and but most of them are, are your um, American, your American uh, Hollywood Jews, which, well, that that's, I guess maybe they became Hollywood Jews because of stuff like this. I don't know. Well, you have to wonder how many people are like, you know, like some kind of Michelin. And I think, you know, there's an interesting, uh, you know, bit of like physiognomy that uh, came across my desk recently. And I, I've been having a little bit of fun with it. I was actually just looking at the Elvis stuff. Mm-hmm. And he seems a little bit more Michelin. So it's not very ob- obvious. He's, he's obviously not like a purebred, you know, uh, you know, Jew. He's not like he doesn't look like a merchant at all. Uh, doesn't no, look like really. any of the, uh, you know, doesn't close. look like uh cave Jew or the, the Hawk or any of the, uh, those, it, he's obviously a Michelin, but one of the things that gives it away is when you have like the, the ear kind of, you know, if you're, you know, the profile is re- really important, important, you know, don't even look at the, you know, the nose so much, but like the relation of the ear, uh, you know, uh, on the head toward, uh, uh, to the eye where, you know, Jews, it's like very low back mm-hmm. and like, kind of like tilted back at almost like a 45 degree angle. Okay. And like you can just draw like an eye, you know, a, a, a line from the corner of the eye straight back and just go straight over it. And with goys, even you know non-white goys, you tend to like just like you know it's more higher up on the head, straight up and down. And then like if you draw, draw the line back from the corner of the eye, you you run into the eye, right. and you'll see you'll see it on uh, certain people. And I was looking at we were talking about uh, Mike Patton the other day, and I was like, hmm, you know. And the only thing it says about him is that he's part uh, Native American, which doesn't really tell you very much. But I will say that like uh, half of Faith No More is Jewish. That's uh, something that like Heretz and stuff was talking about when I was like you know looking around and they don't so claim like him. even if like say like you know Mike Patton isn't Jew- uh, you know, Jewish, he's surrounded by them. So having them in his band, it's like you know uh, Marilyn Manson had a, had a, th- a thing where like uh, the only Jew in that band is uh, Pogo, the uh, keyboardist. And these Jews were like, hey, you know, uh, is any, are any of you guys Jewish? And they're trying to like shake them down and find out if they're like actually like a crypto Nazi group. And, you know, uh, Pogo was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Jewish. We're, I don't practice it or anything, but yeah, my parents are Jewish. And that was like, oh, yeah, us Jews got to stick together. And that's literally how, like, you know, it was written in the book. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not really adding anything to, uh, to that story. And, uh, yeah, so I mean, like you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, you know, the main people in, in this uh, you know gr- group might not be Jews. Like, you know, like Kiss is only half Jewish. Yeah, like, you know, the uh, uh, the lead guitar player and the dr- uh, the drummer aren't ju- uh, Jews, but they're also kind of the no, most but the important, important ones are. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, or you'll see like stuff like where like uh, you know, like the drummer for Cannibal Corpse is ju- uh, Jewish. Did that help him? Uh, you know, uh, get signed? I don't know, but it didn't hurt. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know? Okay, well, we're off. So, we're off topic. Sort of on topic, off topic. It's music related, but not Laurel Canyon. Speaking of music, it is time for a break. Um, did you guys decide? 
Oh yeah, we'll play uh, that Mudvayne song, Death Blooms. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, Cash has a uh, song. What, what would you like to play, Cash? Uh, did we did we decide on one? Your cover of Like Rats would be pretty All right. good. All right, cool. We're gonna do. What's the name of the What's the name of the project that did this one? FedPost Incorporated. I now have a uh, uh, YouTube uh, channel d- dedicated to this, aside from my cash customer channel, which I can't log into anymore. Um, and uh, we have uh, five of those uh, FedPost Inc. songs, and there's a little thing I call the Asphalt Cowboy Saga, where the videos all kind of like, are, you know, have a, a running theme and... Uh, you know, or semi cinematic. Check it out. You might you might like it if you like this uh, song. All right, we'll check it out. We'll be back.
All right, everybody, we're back. This is still the Paranormies. I'm still Johnny Monoxide with Dogbot, Jack, and Cash Customer. We are uh, just finishing up with Dave McGowan's book, uh, Weird Scenes in, from Inside the Canyon. Um, we still have plenty of stuff to talk about about Laurel Canyon. That place is a hotbed of alphabet organization involvement in media, whether it's music or movies or television, um, modeling, any, any sort of media came out of, came out of Laurel Canyon. Mm -hmm. Um, Has we ever get a chance to uh, check out that, uh, Miles Mathis, uh, stuff about John Lennon, who is Laurel Canyon. Oh yeah. Yeah. The John Lennon thing. I did not get a chance to, I could not find a link that worked. Um, but I mean, I, that's the, uh, John Lennon faked his death. I yeah, that. proof John Lennon faked his death. Uh, it's uh, it's a fifty-page, bo- uh, you know, basically a booklet pamphlet. A lot of pictures. It's, he he goes off a lot of fo- photographic evidence. Actually, the uh, I went o- back over it. Only about half of that is actually proving to you that uh, you know John Lennon faked his death. Then he like starts linking it to Michael Jackson, who is you know uh, owner of the Beatles, aka you know you know partly uh, you know John Lennon's you know, publishing rights and uh, Sony and BlackRock and Blackstone. And it's actually, I'm like, I was like, wow, wow. Like, like uh, it's, it's this, uh, you know, all re- uh, roads lead into and out of Laurel Canyon. Most definitely. And yeah. You know, uh, Mike was actually talking about the bit about the, uh, um, you know, the scenes and how that's like, yeah, like, basically you know cultural engineering to like divide people up into groups so i mean like if you know even mike you know mike's not not a nice very skeptical guy and if he he, uh finds some value in in this uh, material uh, i think uh the most skeptical of uh our listeners should uh be able to like find some value in it i think mike oh that mike oh mike enoch yes is that what you're referring to Okay, you have to, you do have to, you know, like, not oh, everybody knows. Said Mike. Sure. There's only one Moik. Sure, you know, there are some people who would still probably not know who that is, but that's okay. Um, what was he saying that, that, what was he saying that the, uh, that the scenes were created by the agencies? Yeah, there were, it was, not that it was, like, necessarily created by the agencies, he didn't get very specific, but he said it was, like, these like uh, clicks and scenes are they're basically tr- created by the Jews to like you know like oh by the Jews like, okay yes. kids up and it, it works you know because I mean you're all this stuff is focused at people that are like coming out of elementary school and going into junior high school and then like somewhere by t- uh, by the time you hit high school you're you have you've probably been like crystallized in the one scene or or an- another. And it's just like, uh, you know, I'm sorry if you're a very young per- uh, person. I hate to t- uh, tell you, but you're, you know, you're not fully ba- baked yet. And you're a lot more gullible than you be- uh, you like to believe. <laughs> you know, it happened to all of us. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he was, yeah, he said, he said it was just basically straight up social programming. I mean, of course it is. Whatever the mechanism was, it's pretty obvious. to. Uh, to well, it's to MK. It's, it I is. mean, it's obviously, I mean, as we've, this is the third time we've brought this up. This is obvious, you know, alphabet organization involvement, namely the CIA, um, through Stanford in California, through Yale on the East Coast, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Stony Brook University, right outside of New York, is another big one. Um, and My old stomping ground. I, I know Stony Brook very well. In England, you have uh, MI, MI5, MI6, and the Tavistock Institute. Um, so, yeah, all of this stuff. Definitely. Yes, yes. The Jews socially structuring people. Yes. Um, Stony Brook is actually involved in the uh, – uh, actually, uh, the part of the uh, Blue Oyster Cult saga takes place in Stony Brook, New York, which is – it's a town as well as a, a, right. a, a, uni- a university yes. in uh, Suffolk. Yes, it is. Uh, where were we? We were – I forgot what we were, what, what, how we ended up getting on there. What was I saying before you brought up Mike? Blue Oyster Cult. No, it wasn't quite Blue Oyster Cult time yet, but we can do Blue Oyster Cult now. Oyster, Laurel Canyon and like how everything is tied. Yeah, up everything's that. tied. Everything's tied to Laurel Canyon, in and out, including the moon landing, including you know Stanley Kubrick, including well you know Lookout Mountain Laboratories, which is the CIA's. Uh, laboratory and film studio and propaganda factory mill mill yeah. yes right there i still think that's kind of funny that frank zappa's house is 6.6 miles 6.66 miles from where sharon tate was murdered <laughs> yeah just, log just ca- uh, the log cabin yeah i mean like uh uh he's another Charles one manson did uh you know did go through the uh the log cabin at one po- uh, point so mm-hmm. I mean, you know, either either God's got an awfully uh, you know funny sense of humor, or some of this stuff is uh, you know more planned out than you you might expect. Uh, yeah, um, it's definitely, definitely more planned out. This is if I mean this whole thing screams setup, and and the people in the comments in the first episode, I believe it was on the first episode, when they were like, oh, just because a few of them have ties to military people and just because a few of them have relatives who are in the intelligence agency just a few just a few just a couple of if you're saying that how hard do you glow if everybody you know i mean dude jim morrison's dad it really clicks when you think about this jim morrison's dad was so you know like clued in and and like hooked in and dialed uh, you know into this whole system that he was part of a false flag operation and in fact was on the ground in charge of it yeah is that like just the guy in the military to you no he's he's a very high yes he was a very important person in the military admiral morrison was the, he's the gulf of tonkin incident in in vietnam it's ridiculous these people uh and what's funny is you know the pictures of jim morrison when he's young James Morrison, you know, high school football star, short mm-hmm. hair, you know, clean cut. Pictures of him on the quarter deck with his dad. Pictures of him at the range with his dad shooting a Tommy gun. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Totally the lizard king that you, you know, that you see from the movie and from those few videos. I honestly think that a lot of the stuff that these guys, that we see of these, um, of these people was was really scripted you know i don't think jim morrison was as big of a junkie as they made him out to be he was actually more of a uh just a straight up alcoholic he actually used to talk, uh, talk about like he got into drugs for a while and then he was just like 
you know, going to score, just think about the, about the sleazy, like, sexual connotations of that. It's like, you know, I can go down every, co- you know, like, a corner and, like, uh, find, a, uh, you know, like a, uh, you know, a, a, a bottle or a six-pack of be- a beer. It's, you know, sure. Like, you know, but I think they played um, that up. I think they played that up, too. I don't think... If you look at the pictures of him, he, and... he was a film student after all. I mean, it is right, you know, and, and he would he would soon go uh, go on to his greatest r- uh, role, of course, uh, of course, you know, as uh, you know, our uh, our favorite, uh, you know, proto Alex Jones, right? Bill Hicks, B- right? Bill Hicks. You meant Bill Hicks, but yes, um, no, I he meant, meant Rush I Limbaugh. Meant, I meant, he meant the proto uh, Bill Limbaugh. Hicks. He meant Rush. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, the proto, the proto Bill. Uh, well, the uh, the you know, Bill, uh, Bill Hicks was uh, is uh, you know Alex uh, jo- uh, Jones who is imitating uh, his uh, you know he's hated, imitating uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, who is Jim Morrison. Yes, yes. Uh, the pictures of the pictures of Jim Morrison that were taken like two days before he supposedly overdosed. He looks completely healthy and not junky esque at all. Doesn't have any circles under his eyes. He actually looks kind of chubby. Uh, he looks yeah, he like looks fat. he looks like How are you he fat looks well. Chubby Jim Morrison. And there's I, I I still have a hard time with like the fat Jim Morrison pictures because I think those are those are like bad angles. I don't think there's really like a fat fat Jim Morrison picture. But the the ones that towards the end where he looks like a thin Rush Limbaugh with long hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It totally looks like him. And then hearing the uh, the interview with his manager, who who became the manager the day of or the day after he died. I can't remember exactly what it was. But his name is Danny Sugarman. Mm-hmm. And he's, oh, my God. Oh, God. He's like the scummiest Jew. And like... Oh, he, you he, have no idea. Oh, he got with go yeah. If you're if you don't bring this up, I'm going to. But I think you might you might uh, might know uh, know the cherry I've got here. Go ahead. What that he was that he was uh, he's the only reason why anybody knows how Jim Morrison died. And yes, he, and uh, Danny Sugarman is a Jew. He wrote the book. Uh, you know, no one here gets out alive, which is what the Oliver Stone film is based on. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a book nerd, you read the book. If you're a film nerd, you re- you watch the f- the film, like my parents did, which is what got me to re- you read the book. You mean and the it, book? You mean the movie The Doors? Yeah, yeah, the movie The Doors. And here's the funny thing: not only is uh, Danny Sugarman a Jew, how Jewish is he? Well, he retired to Thailand so he could, uh, you know, uh, bang lady boys. Well, in peace, he that's he died. This is the guy that well, he we died get in like 2005. I don't know about, about the lady Jim boys. Thing. I don't know about the lady boys. Legend. Listen, I can't corroborate the lady boys thing, but he was married to Fawn Hall, who was the uh, in the Oliver the Oliver North incident, um, mm-hmm. which which is interesting because in 1989 was when his book came out and um, nobody really knew how Jim Morrison died because his manager went to, went to Paris and uh, supposedly buried Jim without even looking at the body. Like they, they had the, they had the burial right there in Paris and boom, it was over with. And then like two weeks later, his, his girl died. She overdosed. Right. And uh, you know, Boom! The story's over with. And uh, then in 1989, like, <laughs> later that, uh, but she died of like yeah, it was like a, that was like a famous scene. Like you know, cut a little while later, she's continuing to be a uh, used up uh, 60s, 
you know, hoe bag, uh, you know, like, you know, on, on mad drugs and, uh, yeah, you know, take two weeks. Shot yeah, she goes on like a two week bender and supposedly she goes on a two week bender and then dies. Mm hmm. Supposedly, yeah. supposedly, that's the story. Now, looking at the two of them two days before Jim died and two days before, what's her name, Pauline? Is that her name? Paula? I can't remember her name. Jim Morrison. Paula Dean. It's not Paula Dean. Um, what? That's a damn it. It begins with a peep. I don't know what it is, but listen to this. Listen to this Jew. And his and this is Danny Sugarman telling about now this is how this is kind of how now I believe that uh Jim Morrison really is Rush Limbaugh because let's just listen to this. This is kinda there's a bunch of cuts from it, but like we'll just listen to the whole thing. It's about three minutes long. You live like Jim Morrison, you die like Jim Morrison. And then when his wife Pamela and I hooked up, uh Okay, it's Pamela, not not, not okay, it's Pamela. Not Paula Dean. Not Paula Dean. Pamela. Okay, here we go. <laughs> now, when him and when him and Pamela hooked up, so this is Sugarman hooked up with with his wife, who only died two weeks later. So he hooked up with Jim Morrison's wife in the two week period between Jim's death and her quote death. So here we go. Um, Jim's presence was in the room with us when the two of us were together, and yeah. getting high with her was just the natural thing to do. She was into heroin. Iggy Pop was into heroin. Um, I had just done it and fallen in love with it, and it was it was around in the early '70s. Laurel Canyon, cocaine and heroin, two white powders were all over the place, and a lot of people died. When I finished, no one here gets out alive. Um, first, Pamela Morrison had given me information on how Jim died, and while my collaborator was doing the book before I got involved. When she told me how Jim died, she knew I knew Jerry Hopkins, who I did the book with, and she made me promise her that I wouldn't tell him what she told me. And I did promise her. I said I wouldn't ever tell anybody. No One Here Gets Out Alive was misunderstood to such an outrageous degree, and it's probably my fault. Um, by implying that there's a chance Jim might be alive, but you have to understand in No One Here Gets Out Alive, all I was doing was reporting on the versions of Jim's death that I knew and I certainly didn't invent the rumor that Jim might still be alive as long as I was reporting the ways that Jim died yes he's dead and here's the ways he might have died and I list the theories I felt it was also journalistically responsible to point out on the other hand there are those who won't have any of this Jim is not dead they claim and I have to point out that this isn't as far-fetched as it might initially seen because mm -hmm. the guy had the exact type of personality that would stage his own death. Uh, he had the motivation to do it, he had the ability to do it, and he had the means to do it. He had the money, he had the reason, and he had the cause. He was up for jail time in Miami, uh, the trial was going through appeals, he had the money to do it, and he was the type of personality that would do it. I didn't think that people would conclude that he had done it. And you know, the message that no one here gets out alive is not that you can stage your own death right. and move to Africa and collect royalties for the rest of your life. It was shortly after the recording of their last album that Jim Morrison took off for vacation and never came back. He moved to Paris with his girlfriend, Pamela Corson, and he died there under circumstances that have never been made clear. Do you not suggest in the book that it was Pamela who gave him the heroin that eventually led to his death? Pam was a heroin addict. 
I think Jim OD'd from heroin. Uh, Jim was an alcoholic. They were together in Paris. Um, Pam felt responsible for Jim's death. He probably didn't even know what it was. And like most people who do heroin uh, for the first time, he got real sick and uh, went to the bathroom to take a bath. And the hot water, you know, the condition he was in physically, uh, knowing Jim, he was probably drunk by midnight already anyway. And uh, the heroin in concert with those, uh, those other elements did him in, and he, he never woke up. He packed 50 years of living into, into you know, that, uh, that period uh, in the doors from 22 to 27, and he paid for it. The moral is, is that you live like Jim Morrison, you die like Jim Morrison. Well, there you go. You live like Jim Morrison, you die like Jim Morrison. It's probably true. Well, you know, yeah. if you uh, live like the Lizard King, you die like the Lizard King, and... Yeah. Yeah. If you live like a, uh, you know, uh, the son of a major spook, and uh, probably are a major spook yourself, and get to, uh, you know, uh, you know, ride the you know, wave of fame and team, uh, team uh, pop idol star uh, stardom to the point a point where you could just like, ah, I'm bored with this now. Can you resurrect me as something completely different? Say, I don't know, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> you know. It's well, the thing is, it's like if like uh, Jim uh, Jim's dad was like so, uh, so like highly co uh, connected, you know, in the uh, military. He's probably also connected to people in intelligence. People in intelligence are the exact type of people that could actually literally like pull off like fake deaths at very successfully. You yeah, know, by well, being they, able to you know, like fabricate uh, you know documents and things like that. That's pretty much what they do. That's part of yeah. That's that's part of these secret services. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think, I don't think Jim Morrison overdosed that story. Listening to, listening to him, uh, to Danny Sugarman there, he, he looks like, I mean, he looks very Jewy. He's got the, the kind of mullety sort of hair and the big glasses and the big nose. Um, even the name fits. I mean, they were like, you know, big into the sugar cane and the rum trade. And of course you need slavery for the, for those you th uh, things you're trading the rum. You rum for the slaves and yep, all that. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, yep. it fits very well. As does most th things in Laurel Can uh, Canyon. That's one of the things I think I think I was always like, dude, Laurel Canyon fits in so well with like so well with standard alt right, you know, assumptions. It's like if you know if your Jadar is working, you're not going to be disappointed. It's not you know it's not like re reading like uh, you know William Cooper or something like that where you're trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's like there's not a lot aside from like uh, Dave McGowan's own like kind of like you know musings about various things, and he's like one of these guys that never really got Jay woke. So you might hear a little bit oh well, these Nazis or whatever, but it's really super light. If you're paying attention to the details, you're going you're going to just you know be it's just going to be uh, you know confirmation bias upcomings from cover to cover. All right, I take it that's a good review. Hmm? <laughs> so what about Blue Oyster Cult? Guys? Yeah, um, I wasn't quite done with with the Jim Morrison thing. Oh, um, listening. Oh, okay. Listening to Danny Sugarman tell the story. I mean. When he when he told the part about you know where Jim was you know like a first time user and he probably got really sick and then you know he went to go take a bath 
this coupled with that coupled with this. It's like he's telling it like he's reading it off a cue card. You know, it sounds a lot like, remember the guy from 9-11 wearing the Harley Davidson hat? It was like, and just like they said, the jet fuel made the building got hot and all the floors collapsed. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> is it, it was the same style of reading. You know, he, he definitely made that story up. Danny Sugarman, again, is the source. Source, trust me, bro, because mm-hmm. the story he got of how Jim died. The only person who knows how Jim died would have been, um, would have been Pamela. 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 Just like Pamela. Um, right, and just like Jimi Hendrix, uh, found by uh, by his uh, you know uh, you know then girlfriend. Right. Just like uh, wasn't the uh, you know Kurt Cobain found by Courtney Love? Or well, Courtney Love no. shot Kurt Cobain. Or he, or what, someone someone she sent, I believe, to check, check on the house. Yeah, but sorry, call correct. But that's that. What I'm saying is, is yeah. So the only person who saw Jim Morrison die was Pamela, and the only mm-hmm. person who she told was Danny Sugarman, and then she OD'd, and the only person who knows is him, and he wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So that's that's it. There's your like. If anybody doesn't believe that Jim Morrison is not Rush Limbaugh, I don't I don't know. This one kind of kind of helped cement it even further for me. Yeah, I don't I I'm I'm fairly more convinced with the the lack of because of the lack of evidence. There's of, no Yeah, there's there's no there's no death certificate, there's no nothing. There's nothing about Jim Morrison's death. It's literally source trust me goy. <laughs> you know, it's literally yeah, it's a, a Jew named Danny Sugarman. You know? Huh? It's the same thing with all three of those, like you know, twenty-seven club de- 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 deaths. And um, I'm not I, like I'm not sure uh, sure so, uh, so much about like uh, what's your face. Uh, who's Jamie the uh, yeah the other thir- twenty-seven cl- uh, club? Uh, me- yeah, me- a member from the same uh, yeah Janis Joplin. Year. Janis Joplin. Um, Didn't Janis Joplin yeah, win ugliest I'm, I'm, guy in her senior class? I think she was named <laughs> ugliest dude well, in school. What What if, like Janis Joplin, just happened to be a twenty seven club by accident? We're we're in like you know the you know the tranny does the forty one percenter routine. And it just so happened to be it be that just like uh, who, you know one of the other uh, twenty seven uh, you know like club uh, uh, people. What was her name? Um, uh, the really uh, obnoxious like you know songstress from like uh, you know uh, England. I don't want to you know you know, go to rehab. Amy Winehouse. Yeah, you know, Amy Winehouse. Amy yeah. Winehouse. Whatever that thing was. Yeah, name Amy Winehouse. What about it? She's very Jewish. What about her? Yeah, uh, I, dude, I'm. That, I think that uh-huh. might, that might be. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I was gonna yeah, uh, well. dogbot do your thing. Is I, 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 I recall at some point looking at it, it's just like, yeah, this is definitely. Oh yeah, I'm on this episode too. Um, yeah, Amy Winehouse is a dude. Yeah, so I mean, like, I don't know if it was like, let's just get rid of. One of the things is too is like, why would you get rid of somebody like this? It's like. Jimi Hendrix is cool because Jimi Hendrix didn't li- live uh, in the 80s, get fat, and then start doing, like, really, like, 
think about like some of the things like like Eric Clapton was doing in the eighties. It's really well, like, I mean, kind of lame. I mean, Jimi Hendrix didn't get fat. I mean, so, go ahead, DB, you do it. I mean, some of the things Jimi Hendrix has done is uh, play God in movies. He's also <laughs> played detectives. Uh, he's also been a very good narrator for uh, uh, you know documentaries about penguins. Yes, about Antarctica. Yeah, <laughs> how about that? How about that? He didn't. Yeah, he didn't get fat. No, he just he just no, he didn't get fat. No, he, he I'm just, just saying got the more freckled. Jimi Hendrix is that he died. So it's like it, at, at that point, it's just like whether he dies IRL or not, as far as the people that own Jimi Hendrix, own Jim Morrison, they, the guy that owned Kurt Cobain, they're like, you know what? I mean, like, you know, you could really die or you could just go away. And like either way, it's like what you, you become this like kind of like rock and roll martyr. They love that effect. And all of a sudden it seals the you look at like uh, Biggie Smalls and Tupac, you know, same thing. Uh, you know, I, 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 I deal with, with with those two. You know, OK, I don't, uh, I don't once the, the person dies and the younger, the better. If they if they don't have a, uh, you know, that like you know, weird period where they get get too messed up on drugs and kind of like lose the script. The, you know, it's just like let them go out at the top of their ga- a game, and then you just like you know, collect money for the you know for the rest of the, whoever owns those uh, royalties co- just c- keeps collecting money. I think uh, what is it the Beatles royalties? I think like those generate something like a one or two billion dollars a year. That's ridiculous. Hmm. I don't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's true. But that's ridiculous if it's true. A billion dollars for. Beatles royalties. Think about how many times, like uh, you know, the Beatles are probably pl- playing on like uh, you know, radio stations wor- worldwide. Maybe I'm, uh, do TV people shows, still listen to radio? Uh, you know, music. Okay. Maybe. Films. All right. Well, we're maybe we're off. Yeah, that was the, we're that off. Was the, that, that was the uh, the figure I was getting. Okay. Well, we're we're off in into the into the thing again. All right. So what were we? Did we finish up that? You want to do Blue Oyster Cult then? No, dogbot. Yeah, sure. All right. Sure. You uh, <laughs> you're the one that told me to watch this this video. This um, Imaginos. This guy. Okay, so Blue Oyster Cult is not even the band wasn't even the band's idea. Like the band was formed by the manager, basically, right? And the manager is this Jew yeah, named that- Sandy Perelman. Okay, so. Bear with me here. Sure. If you give me, give me, a, give me a couple minutes. You go ahead. I have always heard about the concept album. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm a Nine Inch Nails fan, and sure. uh, and so one of the things Trent has said is that the Downward Spiral is a concept album about a guy who just completely falls apart, and uh, you know, from from every aspect of his life, and then. Uh, shoots himself and has regrets about it at the end. Like that was what the downward spiral was supposed to be about. It's supposed to be a concept album, but you can listen to each song individually and not have to really follow along with any kind of like special story. Again, another one of his concept albums is year zero, which tells uh, like the same story from different perspectives. And then they had all this added stuff on the internet that you could look up that had to do with different aspects of the album. Okay. That was kind of neat. Other than that, most of the other bands I listen to have albums that are uh, like a full thing in themselves. But I just really wasn't, I, I never really got into prog rock. So, like, I didn't really, 
I didn't really see the concept album like supposedly telling a novel's worth of a story. And apparently that's what Blue Oyster Cult albums are supposed to do is like all the lyrics are supposed to have some super deep hidden meaning. And like, uh, that's fine. The band does it right. But no, like some Jewish manager comes up with your whole look, your, your, the name of your band, uh, writes all the songs and then has like a folder full of songs that he wants you to start pulling ideas out of over a 10 year period of time. I, I don't even know what that is. Like that's just, that, that comes off as just like really kind of fucking gay to me, but like weird. Well, correction dog bought 20. Uh, the, the band started in the, in the mid sixties and Imaginos came out in 1988. And that was what, what Perlman was pushing for the whole time. And this is also a, 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 an illustration of the concept where it's just like, once you, the seeds, like the band I was in, that's why it was named what it was. I guarantee it. I, I think, I think the band I was in was, was originally a big, a big psyop, which is why it's a big, a big, a big deal. Go look up, uh, you know, the seeds documentary trailer on the, you know, online. You can watch Iggy pop gush about my former band, band leader, uh, you know the once the uh, you know kind of you know they they start these bands and like all of a sudden uh, a sudden you have like um, you know these manufactured you know ba- bands that come out they be, you know they, they re- re- reify like a, a certain style and then you have a billion uh, think about how many bands have ripped off Black Sabbath since like 1969. A kajillion, Metallica, Slayer, or uh, you know, uh, Led Zepp. I mean, the the entire '80s is the way it is because of you know, Led Zeppelin. Uh, you know, so it's just like you know, this this uh, style makes a million dollars, and you will you know, have like guys flocking to it. And this is a, a good example because Blue Oyster Cult is basically Sandy Perlman going, "I want to make an American Black Sabbath." And that's where Blue Oyster Cult comes from, uh, you know, from. That was where he was kind of, you know, like that. You know, if you think about their two referencing two very, you know, vaguely similar concepts, even the blah, you know, in the in the, in the well, uh, beginning. Yeah, but Blue, and, uh, Blue Oyster Cult was like the twenty third name that the band had gone through. Yeah. It was, uh, they still actually, like, you know, through the 70s, anytime they wanted to go play, like, new material live, they still used the term, uh, Soft White Underbelly. Um, yeah, that was their first band. They, that was their first band name, was Soft White Underbelly. They, I don't think they ever actually played out under that. They had a, they had an EP. Um, then they had, yeah, they, then I, they I were, they played shows. They go play, like, bar, uh, bars in, like, Long Island, uh, just to that, test the material against, like, audiences. And that that was a whole. Th- it was like almost a code word. It's like if you knew what soft white underbelly was, it was like you're going to see like a, a, a blue oyster cult play a bar or a small club, and you might hear some of the new st- uh, stuff before it, c- it comes out uh, out on the, re- at the record. They're kind of like a big deal on Long Island. Um, uh, but, were uh, they? Yeah. Were they really though? I mean, oh yeah. Hmm. I mean, like I mean, my my dad was like, uh, you know, he you know he was uh, you know Long Island rocker dude and. He saw like uh, you know Frank Zappa and Black Sabbath, two like Laurel Canyon bands, 
pl- uh, playing. I hate to say it's say Black Sabbath too. That really hits me where I live. That's my favorite band. Oh, Black Sabbath. But you know they're involved. I mean Don Arden. At least Don Arden is. See, it's not that I don't think that Black Sabbath themselves they they don't qualify as the Laurel Canyon band. I'm not saying that like Tony Iommi's you know in the log cabin or anything like that. But Don Arden is connected to this. Thus is his daughter Sharon Osbourne, and Sandy Perlman actually ends up. Uh, managing Black Sabbath during the Dio era, which is the time the, uh, right after uh, uh, Ozzy had been like taken uh, taken away from her dad by uh, by uh, Sh- uh, Sharon. So it's very incestuous, very Jewish. Even though it's like uh, you know, okay, this guy's like some dude from like the Long Island like university scene. What does he have have to do with like you know British you know gangsters in London? Oh, are they both? Do they both echo? You know. Well, Blue Oyster Cult is very Jewish in general. Their first singer was Jewish. Um, uh, Buck Dharma's Jewish. Buck Dharma's Jewish, yeah. You've ran, you know, obviously Sandy. I think it's funny. Player, but Jewish. Sandy Perlman. San, Sandy Perlman. Hold on. Sandy Perlman. Blue, Blue Oyster Cult, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like interesting. That's that's kind of interesting <laughs> by itself. But then he wrote, he wrote this... Um, Concept album, I guess. I uh, this uh, Imaginos, but Imaginos is a guy, right? It's, it's a story of a guy. Uh, there's a lot. It's a very weird story. I, I listened to that to that podcast about it, or uh, that that documentary, actually. Um, very we'll strange. Put a link. We'll put a link of it in yeah in the notes, right? Yeah, sure. We'll put a link to this Imaginos documentary. Yeah, you kind of got to watch it. It's interesting. Um, there's a lot of the imagery for Blue Oyster Cult's first couple of albums, the first three albums, what they call the black and white trilogy, because the artwork was all black and white on their on their first three covers. Um, and then I posted the th- I posted the three covers in the chat. Few, they're pretty. They got pretty spoopy imagery. Yeah, the they're pretty cool. The uh, the artwork is very interesting. Um, a lot of like sacred geometry going on, and very uh, yeah. The guy Bill Golick that uh, made those imagery uh, images is he's a he's a goy. But the interesting thing about him, and this is another thing where like the echoes through like popular culture, um, they were talking a lot about the Bill Golick has his own uh, little thirty minute documentary about like the the art behind Blue Oyster Cult that uh, that that uh, questioning cross symbol that's very kind of like fr- you know friend you know windmill of friendship-esque um and you know it, they were saying that like later on this uh, you know like the mid-70s he started becoming a being a new york city taxi driver who kept a machete under his fr- front seat and like somebody was like going like dude um what's his face that uh, came up with taxi dr- driver it's like he must have had taken a ride with bill whether it's true or not, it's just like it. it, it I, I think it's like one of these things. Maybe it happened. Maybe it, di- it didn't. But it's just like the didn't echoes. he disappear though? Was not that his story? Yeah. That he just disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, uh, and that's and that's an impressive feat in like the internet age. But I mean, I guess if you're like an older school kind of guy that never got into like you know someone that was in uh the you know college in the 60s I could totally see them like missing the you know the wave of like PC you know computers. Sure. 
probably very happily. So, <laughs> you know. yes. So we have Sandy Perelman, who's the guy who does all the writing, all the concept, all the conceptual stuff, gets all the art done. Um, the second album, Tyranny and, and Mutation, is got the you've got the Freemasonic checkerboard floor, you've got the pyramid, yep, you've got the uh, at the top, you've got that Saturn cross, whatever you want to call it. Um, again, you know, the artist, what was his name again? Bill Golick, Bill Golick, like garlic, but it's yeah, G-A-W-L-I-K, yes, Bill Golick. Um, he disappeared and never really gave a full explanation as to where the concept came from. But um, who was the who was the one? Which one? The art was it Arthur? No, not Arthur. Um, Andrew, Andy. Was there an Andy in the band? I don't have the list. Andy Bouchard. Andy Bouchard. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Bouchard said that uh, it was Gallic that came up with it by himself. Like, because there's some people who think that this is some sort of, uh, you know, the Romans used it to mock early Christians, um, but whatever. Looks a lot um, like a swastika. It seems like something like you could come up with by yourself. If you, he, the guy was a gra- like you know those uh, uh, at least two of those images were were for uh, his actual like thesis for college. That it was just that I mean, and if you think about it, he put that much time into him. So the band was like, dude, this is really actually very good. So could we use this? We'll pay you or whatever. Um, yeah. Also, was it was so the sixties like, uh, and there was drugs. So yeah. He, and anyway. he didn't want to change it. He didn't want to like make little tiny alterations, like putting the red in the uh, pyramid or putting shadowing in, because it was like he put the, uh, the whole thesis to, uh, uh, to get uh, together for uh, for this. This guy was not a like, uh, uh, like some casual like local amateur, you know, d- uh, do with a you know uh, a notebook and a pencil. You know? Okay, he was an Bas- art. Okay, so but basically we have what they called like crypto fascist looking art and on the cover of the third one secret treaties we have a german messerschmitt <laughs> so and a song called me what me 233 or something like that mm-hmm. yeah um that's one of the thing uh, the the uh, x factors about sandy perlman and they these people do exist it's like don't I'm not. I'm not saying to ever think that like you know the base Jew online on Twitter or something like that. That guy's totally being legit. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that there are. I mean, dude, there were Jews, uh, Jews in the uh, or like uh, Michelings in the SS. There were Jews invo- involved in the uh, you know national so- uh, socialism that t- that were like you know what uh, you know I support this. Yeah, it did exist, and I, I don't necessarily uh, think I think it's totally out of bounds. Where where like you could th- think of maybe Sandy Perlman actually was maybe a echoing our guy. They they happen, and sure. one of the things is, um, <clears throat> you know, he does very much what I do, where it's like if you want to see the uh, you know like roots of like you know heavy metal coming out of like the late '60s and early '70s, you're not going to look at like blues records from like 19 you know 55 or uh you know anything like that like, i mean look at like rossini go look at like wagner go look at the uh, bach go look at the uh, you know there's 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 you know go look at like uh you know especially german you know composers from 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 the 18th and 19th uh, centuries that, that's mm-hmm. where 
a lot of this ca- came from. That's why, like, you know, so, I mean, ev- everybody from Black Sabbath for, uh, to Metallica to Randy Rhodes to keep naming, you know, na- naming people, they all have classical influences. And that's because they're very, that's where actually where it was derived from. And that's, this Jew actually was like, yeah, 17th century, you know, German composers were where this, like, you know, uh, style really has its root in. It doesn't have it r- roots in slave haulers from like you know like America in the the eighteen sixties or something like that. You know, supposedly. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, dude, I, I I will debate anybody that wants to, to, uh, to uh, you know like be like, oh, like uh, yeah, like like yeah, Led Zeppelin was just like white people ripping off like bl- black people. I will I will I will, no, I will, what, I will that, that argument and then to shred to shred, uh, shreds and you'll love to see me do it. Trust me. Okay, <laughs> Led Zeppelin was the best cover band of the 1960s and 70s. It's fine. Yeah, like like there's like literal entire segments of their songs that were completely oh, ripped I, off. I, I'm I'm absolutely aware aware of that, but also it's like one of these uh, these things, dude. Show me one time that Willie Dixon sounded like Led Zeppelin and, you know, conversation over, uh, you know, like basically, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, uh, okay. Either way, anecdote. guy, you, you, you hold on that, cash. Uh, yeah. You know, like, uh, Willie Dixon actually used to be like invited to, uh, to, uh, play for, uh, God damn it. Uh, Jimmy page. Jimmy Page used to come th- uh, through t- uh, town playing with the Yardbirds. He played with a lot of ba- uh, bands in the '60s before before he was in Led Zepp. and uh, he got a lot of these. Part uh, I think part of the idea from Led Ze- uh, for Led Zepp he got from uh, his bandmate um, Jeff Beck, who had a uh, what was it called? Was it Presence? Uh, the Je- it was Jeff Beck Group. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, you know, it was ba- it basically, you know, it was proto Led Zepp. Uh, he even had like Rod Stewart on it, so he had like, he was going for the pretty boy, you know, hey, you know like singer, cash, and, you know, cash. Like hard rock band. Type a of lot thing. of people that are listening to this have no idea who any of those people are. Well, they should. Um, no, no, but, I don't uh, really particularly care who Rod Stewart is, to be quite honest with you, fam. Um, can we get back to what we were talking about with the Blue Oyster Cult, please? Because we got like 10 minutes left in the show. All right. So, I mean, unless, Dogbite, do you want to just save all that and just do like a whole special thing on them? Because there's a lot of... Uh, We could could cover the Blue Oyster Spoop later. I I mean, let let me make something abundantly clear. When we did the email show, somebody had sent an email asking... You know, based on the Marilyn Manson esoteric episode that we did, mm-hmm. uh, they 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 said, "Did you know that Blue Oyster Cult had a lot of esoteric stuff going on with their music mm-hmm. too?" And and at the time, Johnny and I were like, eh, "Well, maybe," but after 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 watching this uh, documentary and looking at some of the artwork and everything. I can definitely see the esoteric uh, influence going on, and, and and there's just there's also something pretty funny about this Perlman guy totally wanting to do his own Jewy version of H.P. Lovecraft sort of stuff, right? You know, yes. like like he was obsessed with H.P. Lovecraft and World War II, mm-hmm. which I, I'll be quite honest with you, sounds just like me in junior high. You know, so like he had this whole like 
he had this whole spiral notebook basically full of like song lyrics that he wrote based on his love of World War II and H.P. Lovecraft. And not just H.P. Lovecraft. But also, and, don't forget, <coughs> excuse me, the 60s marathons of the sci-fi movies on on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Those, right, but he's, he's he somehow bi- conned an entire band into, right, into making his songs for him. Oh, yeah. Well, he probably had uh, New York City, uh, you know, music industry co- uh, connects. I don't know if that, that, that's, uh, you know, I think that's like an inference that kind of makes itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, like, he absolutely uh, did. Good, good dovetail, though, uh, Johnny. When you're talking about the, uh, the the 60s slasher flicks, Black Sabbath is named after a 60s sl- slasher flick named Black Sabbath. They all used to be in a band called Earth, and they were trying to like you know be heavier than the Who. And one day they, uh, you know, all went across the street to a, a matinee, watched Black Sabbath, and they're like, we should make a, uh, you know, uh, you should make music that's as scary as like a, a good slasher movie. And so they wrote the, the song Black Sabbath. And, uh, you know, they actually changed their name because they used to be called Earth. And there was a local blues band that got uh, that was also called Earth and they they got misbooked. You know, they're thinking they're getting a like, you know, like a normal, you know, like 60s, you know, era, you know, British blues band, you know, like strictly traditional blues, like stuff you would actually want to have playing in a bar. And all of a sudden Black Sabbath shows up with like the first distorted guitar like anybody's ever heard that sounded like that. It, it was probably pretty jarring. So they changed their name to Black Sabbath and they're like, literally, you know, that's literally where the dovetail between like music and Hollywood comes in when, of course, the dovetail between music and Hollywood is Laurel Canyon, which is right off of like what it doesn't like uh you know Hollywood Boulevard like end at Laurel Canyon Boulevard or very close to that. No, I think actually like Laurel Canyon ends at the sunset. Still Hollywood, hmm. it's it's right there, but it's its own little separate part, you know. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's yeah, definitely and, part of Hollywood, though. The young Turks that were a huge part uh, part of this sto- uh, story to, uh, uh, too. There's read the book. There's so much in there. Uh, in there, do you hate mu- uh, you know, music? Are you one of these guys that lo- hate, uh, hates uh, music but loves film? There's still a good chunk of this book that you will like. You know, if you hate all the you know sixties uh, you know mu- music references we're making, uh, there's Jack uh, you know N- Nicholson. There's uh, you know. Uh, the Fondas, yeah, we, all these like you know p- people, um, <clears throat> you know, and it's kind of an evergreen topic. Uh, one of the, you know, wasn't the, the last? Uh, uh, who's the guy? Uh, who's the guy who likes the feet? Uh, I have no, I, Bill. What? Uh, it's Tarantino. So Tarantino, basically, his, his last film was about the Manson murders. Uh, Once upon okay. a time in Hollywood. Right. Yes. Yes, it was. It was with you know, Brad Pitt. It's, it's, yeah. it's an evergreen and, topic. It's not just like, you know, mm-hmm. like old guy. Well, I guess Tarantino is an old guy like us. So, yeah. Basically, your entire classic rock station is a CIA op, and they use all that stuff in propaganda propaganda films that have been... Like, there, there's a reason why when people see, like, footage of a... They they see footage of a Vietnam era chopper landing landing in the jungle like in a clearing that for some reason in the back of their head they can hear fortunate son yeah right. there's a reason like like they they've programmed they've programmed all these images and sounds together 
f- mm-hmm. in our culture for the last 50 fucking years. Well, they're still doing it. It's not like they, they stopped yeah. it with the classic rock station because of the pop stations and all the, the, the new rock stations and all that. They're all, it's it all... starts with a twist and it ends with WAP. Or that other thing we didn't really want to talk about that happened today, which is the most, probably the most like end result of Laurel Canyon thing ever, but I don't know if we want to. Yeah, it's a pretty sad day. We'll just put it this way. It's a pretty sad day for Chris Chan fans. That's really gross. And and Adam, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry that you're like the saga. I I was trying to read some text and like, I was just about to fucking claw my eyes out. Okay. It's, I, 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 I already know too much. Please don't fill in too many details. I've never wanted to be ignorant about a subject so much in my life. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not ignorant about it because of something I read in a chat earlier today. So all I have to say is I don't know who this Chris Chan person is, but uh, things should happen to people like this in Minecraft. Yeah, absolutely. I am vomit. Um Well, he's he's, you know... The logical conclusion, excuse me, he's the logical conclusion of what this industrialized society is doing to people. Um, He's just a few years ahead of the curve. So keep an eye out for more of that coming to some trainees near you. Jesus Christ. All right. Yeah, Adam, I'm sorry that that's how the story arc of Chris Chan ended up, if you're listening, buddy. Who knows if it even ends there anymore? I don't care. I like don't I haven't know. cared about. I, I haven't cared about Chris know. Chan. I, can I? Okay. I haven't cared about Chris I Chan. The hell on I literally just I asked if I could like stop. Cash. Cash. Let you me know. finish so we can finish the show. Stop, please, sir. Okay. I I haven't cared about Chris Chan in probably six years, and this is the one until then I found out he was a tranny. And I'm like, yeah, I knew that was that was coming this way. And I knew something bad was going to happen, and something bad happened. And now we don't ever have to talk about him yeah, again. Yeah, we're never going to talk about never him again. Talk about this again. All right. So, I'm assuming that we're going to have a creepy pasta at the end of this. Uh, somebody's going to put one in the old inbox, and we'll play it at the end of this. Uh, we will be back next week with a Nationalist Inquirer for you. Check out our shirts at dissidentapparel.com slash ally slash paranormies. Check us out on Telegram, Reinhardt, Dogbot, Jack. They all have their own channels. We have our channel. All right. We're going to get out of here. Dogbot, you got anything you want to close out with, bud? Time travel makes you gay. All right. Since Jack's microphone is broke, we'll see you all later. Yes. At least it doesn't make you bang your mom. Four months ago. The richest man in the world went to the edge of space. It was a cringeworthy moment for the many back on Earth. The phallic rocket, the cowboy hat, the expense, all for a 610-second flight. 610 seconds. That's all it took. The things that returned on that rocket were not the people that left. For weeks afterwards, life seemed normal. People worked from home. Others started wearing masks again. And everyone with a home full of Echo Dots continued asking Alexa for information. They continued talking, sharing, presenting. It was late August when things started to get weird. First, Amazon sent an Echo to every household in America that didn't already have one. That had seemed like a pricey promotional stunt or market grab. But enough people plugged in, 
Next came the deliveries, health gadgets and trackers. The Amazon shareholders were furious, but in the end, did anyone doubt that Amazon would take over healthcare or pharmaceuticals eventually? Bezos placated investors, made promises, and by September, he had started delivering on some of them. Amazon debuted the Gust, a new drone capable of lifting hundreds of pounds of cargo. They were quick, cheap, and for the millennial crowd, carbon neutral and entirely recyclable. Then, Amazon tried to tackle police shootings. They released a new pistol that would incapacitate without killing. It was 100% effective, and they literally gave them away to select departments. Well, two weeks ago, my neighbor swore to me that a drone was following him. There were already conspiracy theories spreading. Bezos himself was a lead engineer behind the new tech. Bezos had brokered a deal with some tech cabal to release now what had intentionally been withheld from consumers for years. I was incredulous. No, man. I'm serious. A Gus was outside my window last night. I think it fucking scanned me or something. He just seemed rattled, and I would have brushed it off. But then that Dutch teenager from the 610 second flight got sick. Bezos swooped in. It was weird. He tried to prevent press coverage, but for six hours on November 24th, there was a cell phone video on the internet of Bezos and the kid. They were humming at one another, and the kid, the kid was melting. Three nights ago, I realized that my neighbor wasn't being paranoid. I watched from my bedroom window as a gust broke through his. There was a flash like in the video for Amazon stun pistols, and then the gust carried my neighbor away. Then last night, I saw one outside my window. It shot a flat beam of light at me before flying off. This morning, my Echo Plus had a notification for me that I don't think I was supposed to get. I wish I hadn't gotten it. I wish I didn't know. Alexa, read my notifications. Okay, Chris. You have one notification from unknown order number 172-74-229-08-3400-327. For human male, Christopher Patterson has been confirmed. Expected delivery in six to eight galactic cycles. 